You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Awesome. Good morning. Hey, spring is upon us. You guys loving it? Yes, I'm glad you're here. Miss college students, college students that are sticking around, we're so glad you're here. This morning, we are wrapping up this series called Full Gospel. As we've been exploring Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah saw this picture of the coming Messiah, and it's such a vivid description of what Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross. We see that in Isaiah 53, that he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, he paid for forgiveness of our sins, and it's by his stripes that we are healed. We've been exploring that over the last several weeks. I just felt stirring in my heart this week that it would be right and fitting for us to um, just above and beyond express worship and praise and gratitude for all that God has done in our church family in 2019. God has been stirring something, and I believe it calls for a response of worship and praise. So I'm actually going to ask Pastor Tony and, and Paige to come forward and um, just kind of extend a moment of extend worship for a moment. I'm not going to ask the whole team to come. I just, I just want us as a congregation to respond. Would you stand to your feet? As I started recalling everything God had done in 2019, I, I just started jotting down a number of the testimonies that came flooding to my mind. And I want this to stir us to a place of real worship and praise, above and beyond the, the normal kind of obligatory worship that fits the, the pattern of, of our scheduled service. It's like there should be something above and beyond when God starts moving in our midst and I want to bring you back to a story that a couple stood up here, right up here in front, and shared this testimony of being declared infertile by the, by the doctor, both of them, the Klobnicks, and they shared how they were pregnant now. Now this, this baby's due in just a few weeks. Yes, we praise God for those types of testimonies. We heard the testimony about a woman who had, had chronic back pain, walked in on a Sunday morning. She said, I believe this morning's my morning, and God healed her of her back pain. We heard the testimony of a, we heard the testimony of a, another woman who had knee pain, chronic knee pain, and all that week she, she was kind of crying out to God, being like, I don't know how much longer I can take this, God. If you've ever had chronic pain, you're like, I don't know, how, how is this bearable? And she walked in, no one even laid a hand on her. She walked in and God sovereignly healed God is a healer. She encountered Jesus Christ as her healer. Another woman who traveled 70 miles to be with us. She had, she had been uh, suffering from chronic neck pain from an accident 15 years prior, and she left healed, praise God. She drove home with tears in her eyes, just asking, how my life is gonna be so different. A woman testified of being healed of sleepless nights during our week of prayer, amen? Yes. A man, Scott, with arthritic pain in his hands was healed. A woman with neuropathy in her legs, she was healed. A college student testified of being healed of depression with the doctor's confirmation. A woman healed of fibromyalgia after 23 years. We heard of the testimony of baby Weston, if you guys remember this, whose pregnancy was advised by doctors to be terminated. And the, 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 parent, the parents gathered their, their family and their, their church church family and we prayed the baby was born with two functioning lungs no intestinal issues as they expected and Weston is a, a miracle baby 
Praise God. Another woman, we, we heard testimony of her being healed of glaucoma. These are the things God is doing, and those are just the things that came to my mind. There's many others, you can find them on our website. We just, we're starting to feel this uh, responsibility from the Lord to steward what he's doing in our midst. So one way we do that is we start documenting these, we start writing them down as, as just a, as a marker for, before the Lord to say, God, we really value what you're doing in our midst. We don't take this for granted for, one, for, one, uh, for the least bit. So right now, just as an as a act of worship, above and beyond, an offering of praise to the Lord, I want us to lift up our voices across this place. Just praise God. You can do it in your own, in your own words. Do it, express your heart to Him. If you don't know what, how to do that, you can say, God, I praise you. I praise you. I love you. I worship you. It's as simple as that. But lift up your voices right now across this place. We worship you, God. We praise you. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, God. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Christ. 
reducing it to something that kind of fits in a nice tidy box, that fits neatly in our doctrines and makes us feel comfortable as we sit in some chairs, but God, it doesn't actually burn in our hearts when we leave this building. God, we repent of that. God, we never wanna look back. We have our eyes fixed on you. Jesus is our savior. The savior declared centuries before you stepped foot on this planet by the prophet Isaiah as one who carried our griefs, you carried our sorrows, you took care of our iniquities and our transgressions and it's by your stripes that we are healed. Our hearts, our eyes are fixed on that this morning. With hearts of gratitude, of praise and worship, we declare that we worship and praise you, God. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. You can go ahead and find your seats. Thank you so much. Thanks, worship team. Working overtime this morning. It's time and a half, I guess, or something. I'm just kidding. None of them are paid. They're all just phenomenal. So glad you're with us this morning. Um, I want to I wrap up this series, Full Gospel, with a, with a message entitled, Full Gospel Responsibility full gospel responsibility. And I'll maybe set the stage like this. Uh, I have an illustration that I'm gonna unpack this morning. You know, we've been talking about the gospel of Jesus being good news for the entirety of who we are as a person, body, soul, and spirit. It's the, the message that Jesus came to declare. And that, that message, we see that continuation into the early church as well. It's a gospel that actually meant something for our desperate, broken situation that we find ourselves in as a result of sin. Anything touched by sin and by the curse, Jesus answered for it on the cross. We see that taken care of on the atonement in that, that picture in Isaiah 53. But with that revelation or that understanding, we can't go back. You can't unknow what's been revealed to you. So it comes with this revelation or this knowing that there's also a responsibility that we have. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to our neighbors, to our friends, to the next generation to carry that understanding, that knowing, that revelation accordingly. So I'll illustrate it like this. Just imagine with me this morning that I was given a gift, an extravagant gift, a generous, abundant gift, a life-changing gift. This was given to me kind of out of the blue, like I didn't see it coming. And I'm, I'm, I overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving. I'm humbled by this gift. As I begin to unpack this gift, I realize that within this gift is another gift that's meant to be given away. That's right. Part of the gift is for me, just because I'm loved, because they want to show me appreciation, but part of the gift is actually intended for me to give it away. Now imagine with me, if I, if I knew that this gift was meant to be given away, but I just, I hung on to it. I'm like, oh great, two gifts for me, I guess, and and I, and I kind of stuff it away. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be unfortunate? That'd be unjust, really. If you knew that, there'd probably be something that welled up in you like, hey, that guy's a thief hanging on to that extra gift that's not meant for him because I'm not the gift giver. I'm the, I'm the recipient of this gift and now I become a conduit to give this gift away. We have that same responsibility as you come face-to-face with Jesus Christ as the Savior, as we read about in Isaiah 53. We have that same responsibility that we see we have, we have encountered a gift, but part of the gift is also then meant for us, to be, for us to then give it away to others around us. So we carry that 
responsibility. I want us to unpack that this morning. As, we, as God has just had us on a journey in this year, in 2019, God's really been stirring this message deeply in our hearts to live the message, not just on Sunday mornings, but to, but to um, live this message Monday mornings, to live this message in our workplaces, in our conversations around the table with our kids. We have a responsibility to live out this message that we've encountered. And so I'll turn you to Isaiah 53, to verses one and two. That's where I want to focus this morning. We've spent a lot of our time in verses four through nine, this vivid, this vivid picture of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And I've, I've said this before, but you know, if you took a non-believer to Isaiah chapter 53, verses four through six, and you asked them, you know, who do you think this is describing? Most often they would describe, oh, that's, that's Jesus. I've heard enough about Jesus that, yeah, I know he, he's the one who buried our, our, uh, carried our griefs and, and our sorrows and it's by his stripes that we are healed and it's upon him that we have forgiveness from our sins and our transgressions. It's a, such a beautiful description of Jesus as our Messiah. Focus on verses one and two this morning because, or sorry, in verse one, the first two, um, those, those questions that Isaiah 53 starts with here in the servant's songs. Because here Isaiah, he uses a phrase that I want us to key in on, which is the arm of the Lord. We'll just read it. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He asked that question. You may be like, I have no idea. (laughs) Who has seen the arm of the Lord? You're like, "Uh, I don't think I have. I don't know what the arm of the Lord looks like. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That phrase, the arm of the Lord, is, is a phrase that the, the Jewish readers would have, they would have keyed in on. That's something they had heard before. Not everyday language, but Moses talked about it. King David, as he prophesied, he talked about the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord was a, a figure of speech that they used to describe God's physical demonstration of his power. So the prophet Isaiah, he asked that question to hold them accountable. You have a responsibility to respond to the arm of the Lord that's been revealed to you. So we see that they described, or Moses described the arm of the Lord being that that demonstrative, physical demonstration of God's power that rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians. We see King David talk about the arm of the Lord rescuing him from his enemies, Is the arm of the Lord God like reaching into humanity for a moment in a demonstrable way? That's the arm of the Lord. So Isaiah asked that question before he prophesies about this coming Messiah. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so I would say, as we've explored the good news of Jesus Christ in its fullness, to be more than Sunday morning churchianity, to be more than that nice, neat, tidy, home and garden Christianity to be something so much more. Lifestyle Christianity, when we encounter it in that way, it comes with it a responsibility. We're gonna be held account to that which we have encountered, to that which has been revealed to us. The same is true for Israel here. So here's our main idea for this morning. Full gospel revealed is also the full gospel responsibility. The full gospel revealed is also full gospel responsibility. 
When salvation has been revealed, it also comes with a salvation responsibility. Yes, to ourselves and to others around us. You can't unknow what's been revealed to you. Now you'll be held accountable. I'm not taking this out of context. This is what the Apostle John refers to. Is this very passage, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, in John chapter 12, as he's describing some people's hardness of heart. And many people saw these signs and wonders that Jesus demonstrated in their midst, and yet they walked away in unbelief. And I believe we, we walk away without responding for, me, for a number of different reasons, but here in John chapter 12, I'll refer you to, to one example of that. It says, Isaiah said these things, meaning he, he quoted that, those, that verse specifically, Lord, who has believed what he... What he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He said, Isaiah did these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Isaiah felt compelled. He felt he had a responsibility to speak out the word boldly that he had encountered himself, this Messiah. He says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So here he says, they, in their heart of hearts, they believed what they had encountered. This one who did signs and wonders, they knew there was something real about this man, the authority that he carried. But they were more fearful of what man thought, of what the, the Pharisees thought. They were more fearful of the repercussions that would come upon their life if they got kicked out of the synagogue for believing in this Messiah, this Savior. So for them, it was fear of man. It was fear of what other people would think. I believe there's many things that keep us away from fully responding to God, to the level of revelation that's been given us. And I'll let the Holy Spirit speak those things to you, to reveal those things to you, but I would just call us this morning to respond fully to him, to surrender all that we are and say, God, there's no turning back. We can't unknow what you've revealed to us. There's no turning back. You're calling, uh, you're calling us to account this morning as the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century with all that's been given us, with all that's before us. Dozens of versions, translations of the Bible at our fingertips, the miraculous beginning to stir around us, the proliferation of the gospel, especially in the West. We can't unknow what, we have, what has been revealed to us. We will give account. We have a responsibility to respond wholeheartedly so there's two, two aspects of this responsibility that we have. Full gospel responsibility. One is it's a personal responsibility. You yourself will be held accountable. Personally respond to the good news of Jesus as it has been revealed to you. We have one life to live and we will stand before our creator to give account and we have that responsibility to respond to the revelation that's been given us. We see that in Romans chapter one, that God has been revealing himself to us from our earliest years. We see him, we see glimpses of him all around us. Specifically in Romans chapter one, we see in creation that God as designer, as creator, as the author of life, he, he, he reveals that to humanity, to every single person. Romans chapter one, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
Each one of us, we are without excuse because creator God has been revealing himself to us in creation all around us. But beyond that, beyond just the base level of creator God revealing himself as the authority over all the universe, as the, the one who, you, you were his idea in the, in the, in, from the start. But beyond that, we see Jesus emphasize a level of account, personal accountability, personal responsibility that, that we all have as the miraculous is poured out around us in this new covenant. Jesus calls out a number of the cities specifically where, where a majority of his miracles happen. Great signs and wonders in their midst. And he, he essentially implies that they'll be held to a higher standard. They will be held responsible. Uh, they'll be held responsible. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He's referring to these, these cities in, in the book of Isaiah that had been called out for their sins and had been judged by God. He's saying, you, as ones who had, the, the miraculous had been done in your midst, you'll be held to a higher standard than those ones who you know, that, you know what their outcome was. They were judged brutally. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it'll be more tol- tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I, sp- I speak this from a, from a place of personal burning conviction in my own heart. And as, as pastor, I, I bring this before you that we, we can't have it both ways. That if we're going to proclaim the full gospel, if we're not going to play games with God, there's also a personal responsibility that we have to then really jump in, to really surrender all that we are. There's no playing games with God. And so here are these towns, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, they, they had the Messiah in their midst, the miracle worker God himself in the flesh. And yet many walked away in unbelief. And he said, woe to you. We have, we've been given so much. And the reality is, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. There's a common temptation that we can fall prey to. It's the temptation of the perpetual future. That, hey, I'll, you know, I'll respond to God tomorrow. You know, when I, when I get out of this season, I have all these pressures on my life and all these demands on me. You know, when I get out of this season, when I can finally breathe more deeply, then I'll respond to God respond the way I know I need to. I'll tell you, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I don't say that lightly. I just, I'm speaking the truth of, of our humanity. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. You have a responsibility today to respond to Jesus for the revelation that he's given you today. So we respond. But the second aspect of our responsibility is, is where I want to spend the majority of our time this morning. We have a responsibility to others. We have responsibility to those family and friends that have yet to encounter Jesus to the level that you've encountered him. You've been given much. In fact, you've been given a gift. And within that gift is a gift to then give to somebody else. It would just be wrong for you to hang on to it. My son had a birthday this week. He turned nine. He's our oldest. And turning nine, it just feels like time is flying. When we moved to Iowa, actually, he was one. So... It's just surreal to see how fast time is flying by, and he's nine years old now, and, and obviously he received gifts, but he received a card from his 
with a gift from his grandparents. And wouldn't it be unjust and cruel of us as parents if we received that, that gift in the mail and then we just hung on to it? That'd be, that'd be horrible. There'd be something in you that would just be like, you guys are, you guys are there's something wrong with you. It's just unjust. The gift is for him. I'm just the conduit as the parent of the home, the one that checks the mail. I'm just the conduit. I'm just the deliverer. I'm the middleman. Between the gift giver and the gift recipient, I'm just the, the middleman, the conduit. And that, that is, that's the way it is with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're the middleman, the middle woman. We're the conduit of the miraculous for, us to, for others to encounter Jesus like you have encountered him. So God loves to use people. And he loves to use you. We want to abolish the idea of spectator Christianity. Gone are the days where we just sit in a chair and we leave and we, we watch a few, a, a few of the clergy do all the work, do the, the, do the work of the ministry. No, we're, we're actually turning it back to the way Scripture said it was. In the, God gives the church evangelists and prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for ministry. We're in this together. If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to use you. He wants to use you to bring his good news to our city, to your kids, to your, to your, friends, to, to your friends' kids, to the, um, the people you do life with. So I've been on this journey for the last 15 years, honestly. Ever since my, my Chi Alpha pastor, my college pastor, got in my head and began to challenge me outside of my introverted box. I'm, I'm an engineer by, by training, so you can kind of put me in that, that box of introverted. I'm totally cool with just sitting here and not saying a word to anybody. That's, it's fine with me. But my college pastor said, you, you can't use your introvertedness as an excuse to not live on mission and to not give away what God has given you. And he challenged me, I remember, in his office. He said, Drew, next time you walk into a lecture hall, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, highlight the open seat to, to me. Show me where I need to sit. And honestly, I did that my sophomore year of college. Forever changed my life because I, I sat next to a guy named Dan. Dan and I became friends the rest of our career through, through engineering school. We went on the rest of that semester just as friends, you know, acquaintances. We sat next to each other in class. It was fast forward through the summer, and me and my brothers, we, um, we managed an apartment building downtown in the city that we lived, and and in move-in move day that day, there was Dan. He was moving his stuff into our building. He was actually moving just down the hallway from us. We started up a conversation, and he started to talk about how, how difficult of a summer he had. His parents had just divorced. So we continued our conversation upstairs, and God had had Dan's number all the way back to when our relationship started. And God knew that I was going to intersect his life at that moment, and God was going to begin softening his heart, not that God brought divorce into his family, but God uses those circumstances to get our hearts and get our attention. And it was in that moment that Dan's heart began to soften to the things of God, and Dan ended up encountering Jesus, giving his heart to the Lord. I'll never be the same. My Chi Alpha pastor is bold enough to call, to call me to account, to say, Drew, you have a responsibility to get out of your comfort zone, to get out of your bubble, and it's not complicated. You don't have to be like anybody else. You can be yourself, be comfortable in your own skin, and engage others. So this should just, this should just be the natural part of our lives. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. It's just, it just comes with the territory that you're going to be uncomfortable. But you just begin to engage people. 
in life on life, full gospel, that the gospel is, believing that the gospel is actually relevant to the things that they're facing. I, I, I would just pray for the day when people start coming to us with their needs and they, they, start, they start knowing that we have something good to give to them. Instead of us begging people to come in our doors, we, we, we don't have enough room for them all because they, they know there's something good that we can give to them. Remember a couple months ago, the, the greeter at Walmart stopped me and said, Drew, I need to, I need to share with you what the, what the doctor told me. She began sharing about some, some health issues that she had, got, she, she had recovered from. You know the reason she did that? The reason she knew my name and was willing to stop me is because just a couple days prior, I'd been willing to engage in a conversation with her and pray for the, the issues that she was facing. And when I do that, I'm not handcuffing them, holding them hostage for, for hours or, or 20 minutes. I pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, heal this woman. Demonstrate your love to her right now in the name of Jesus. And that's it. No one even need, there's, no, there's no show. There's no performance. No one needs to know you did it. You just do it. Deposit a gift upon that person. And when they know it's done in sincerity, and authenticity and a genuine spirit, they receive it so thankfully. Because in this busy life where people are coming and going, no one sees them. No one sees the things that they're facing. So when you say, hey, can I pray for you for that? Lord, I pray healing right now in your name. Lord, heal this, dear, dear, dear lady, right now. She realized there was something different. So next time she saw me, hey, Drew, she doesn't know I'm a pastor. Drew, this is what happened. This is what the doctor said. It's gonna be all right. We praise God, right? That's what it's like in our day-to-day lives, in our comings and our goings, and in our neighborhood. About um, a year ago or so, a year and a half ago, one of our neighbors walked into a season where she was facing cancer for the second time, and this second time around, it was more difficult than the first time. And both me and my wife, we, our hearts really began to, to break for her, and they don't go to church, and they have a, they have a faith in, in God, but in Jesus Christ, I, I, um, I don't know. It's, um, it's still up in the air. We were in conversations with them, but our, but our hearts began to break for this, that God would do a miracle in her life. and So I began to pray for her individually, my own time with the Lord. But then I felt compelled one day to go over and just ask if I could pray for her. Simple as that. Decided to bring some flowers, bring my kids with her. Kids always make it easier, too, and she was so honored by the gift of flowers. She loves our kids. But when I said, hey, can I pray for you? Tears just welled up in her eyes. She just began to cry there at her, uh, in her front door. I just prayed that simple prayer, Lord Jesus, heal her. Cancer be gone in the name of Jesus. We know you love her. Display that right now to her. That was it. She was just over, overcome. But it started a relationship with her as well. As she, as she sensed the tangible love of God. Here's a person that believes in Jesus Christ and for them, it's not just theory. It's not just an idea. For them, it's not just a compartment about checking a box and, and sitting through a church service for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. It actually means something for this person who's facing death. He's facing cancer. He can be your everything. They snowbird in the, in the, in the, in the winter months, and she messaged us because she heard that I wrote this book, Discovering the Power of Prayer, and she said, I want, I want a copy of your book. And we sent her a copy of the book, and they just made it back this spring, back to, back to Iowa. She came over to our house. She invited herself inside our house, and she began telling my wife she's cancer-free. Amen.
And honestly, I don't care if it's my prayer, if it's a book, whatever it is. Here's a person whose heart is soft to the things of God. They, they responded to these genuine outpourings of faith and love and compassion. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. As long as people are getting turned to Jesus Christ, that's what it's about. So I share those stories because I want you to know that I'm in the trenches with you. I see my role as equipping everyday believers for the work of ministry. That doesn't, that doesn't then say, I'm, I'm just going to sit in my office in my little ivory tower all by, I mean, theorize about it. I'm in the trenches with you, in the neighborhoods, at the grocery store with you, saying, Holy Spirit, highlight the one. Highlight the open seat. Show me who I can encourage today. How can I love this person? Here's the thing. People come to know Jesus as I look at the Gospels and at the, in the early church, I see that people come to know Jesus generally in three ways. For some, it's through teaching, through like reason and, and logic. They, they realize their need for a savior and they say, yes, Jesus is sufficient. He's my, he's my savior, he's my Lord and they, they surrender their lives to him. It's very left brain, uh, reasonable and logical and they encounter Jesus in that way. And we see Jesus reasoning in the synagogues and Paul and the, the early church leaders, them, them doing that through teaching and through reason. Second is through compassion, acts of compassion, radical acts of compassion. Feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, feeding the poor, having mercy and sitting with somebody. These acts of compassion, that, that softens some hearts to see that, wow, Jesus, this good news means something. But still, there's, there's a third category of ways in which people encounter the love of Jesus. And the third way is through miraculous power. Those ones who are just in a desperate situation. There, there's, there's no other solution for the issues that they're facing. And it's the miraculous power of God. It's that arm of the Lord that reaches in and, and clearly displays his power in their life that finally convinces them that he is real. He's the real deal. And sadly, in the church, for centuries, that third aspect of God's saving grace is his grace that reaches in in power and does the miraculous has been neglected. And I just say no more. No more in the West. Are we going to sit by while the rest of the church globally just explodes in growth with miraculous power? Yes, we engage in teaching. Yes, we, we engage in act, acts of compassion. But we have to be a church that embraces the miraculous power of Jesus. It says he is, the resurrected Jesus is still alive today and it means something for the hurting and for the broken, for the desperate around us. I would say there's all sorts of hesitations in your mind right now of maybe why, why God couldn't use you or why you can't respond to God in this way in your daily life. You don't feel qualified. You don't feel articulate enough. You don't feel like you have all the answers. That's fine. I just want you to know right now, that's part of the journey of following Jesus. He has a call upon your life to use you. And you have to discover how God wants to work through you in your own way, in genuineness and authenticity, to be yourself. I would say a common question that, that people oftentimes have in their head, and I've had this question as, as well, is if I'm gonna pray for someone to be healed, for God to do the miraculous, what happens if they don't get healed? It's a common question, right? I want to turn that question on head. What if they do get healed? Come on. 
Yeah, what if, what if they don't get healed? But what if they do? What if you in that moment become, what if you can die to your pride and your flesh enough to be the potential conduit of a miracle in a person's life? Is that not worth it? Come on, that's worth it. So maybe we can put down our ego for a moment. We can put down our care of what people think. We're not in junior high anymore. Come on, we can put that aside. Now we can step out this gospel burning in our hearts, a responsibility that we have to love our neighbor well. And that's not with uh, performance antics and a showiness to it. It's authenticity and genuineness, the love of God burning in our hearts. I want you to experience the power of God this morning. Everyday believers, that's you and me. We see that in the book of Acts. We see God using everyday believers. Obviously, when we think of the book of Acts, we, we think of the apostles and the, these, these leaders that God used in miraculous ways. And God does place anointings on certain leaders in certain moments and seasons and time. But we also see beautiful glimpses of God using ordinary believers, everyday believers, Monday morning at believers, and God using them for the miraculous. I'll point you to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Stephen was an everyday believer. Yes, full of the Holy Spirit, because you're full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You're full of, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of you. You're full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man of integrity. They asked Stephen to help out around the church. Hey, we have these widows who are being neglected. Can you, can you serve their tables? Serve them food and, and bust their tables? He wasn't, he, he wasn't above that. He's like, yeah, I'll do that, whatever, whatever it takes for the church. But there he is, busting tables, serving the widows, and yet he didn't disqualify himself from the miraculous. He said, God can use me. And this is the description of Stephen. Obviously, he ended up giving his life for the gospel. It's the first martyr, but, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. It doesn't say explicitly what the context there is among the people, but I imagine him amongst the widows there serving the tables and believing God for the miraculous in, in, in those moments, in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the everyday moments. There's, a, there's another account of Philip, who Philip was one of Stephen's compadres, one of his um, peers serving the tables. This is the description of Philip. This is uh, his ministry. For, for unclean spirits crying out loud with, or crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lamed or lame were healed. So there was so much joy in that city. That's the description of Philip as eventually he ended up going to other cities and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. There was so much joy in that city. Does joy follow you? Like when you walk into a room, what does what what the atmospheric change that takes place? Is it a downgrade in joy or is it an upgrade in joy? When Philip walked out of that city, it says there was joy in that city. And I pray that would be the, day, that, that would be the, the case for us as a church. For us as people that are full gospel people, that believe that God is relevant to the things that we're facing. I pray that love and joy and peace would follow us. When we go into those dark, chaotic places, people are facing confusion, chaos. That peace would follow us into those places, that joy, unexplainable joy.
So I ask you that question. What if you were the conduit for a miracle? You can't unknow what God has revealed to you. If everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes, I want us to respond to Jesus this morning. The response this morning is very simple. Being the entire message was a call for a response. You have a responsibility to respond to Jesus to the level that he's revealed himself to you. So there's two aspects that I want to emphasize in that response. One is missionally. If you're here in this place, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, if you're here and you're a Christ follower and you say, Drew, I want in on this full gospel lifestyle Christianity beginning to be used by God Monday through Saturday, the comings and the goings in the neighborhoods. I want to respond to God. I believe that I have a responsibility to give this gift away, this good news, and discover this, how I, how I give it away. And that'd be you. You'd say, yeah, Drew, I want, to, I want to respond to God in that way. I know I have that responsibility. If you just raise your hand in this place, I want us to respond to God, to pray a prayer together. And you raise your hand as, as an act of faith before the Lord. The Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. So let's pray like this. Lord, right now, we respond to the good news that you've revealed to us. As a son or daughter of God, we respond to you. We haven't always carried it like it's a gift. We've carried it more like it's a private faith. But this morning, we just say no more. We have a full gospel responsibility to those around us, to those that have never heard, those who have misunderstandings about the church, those who have misunderstandings about Jesus. We have a responsibility to give the good news away like a gift that it is. And so this morning, we respond to you, Jesus. No turning back. Even this week, I'm believing that you're gonna use us. You're gonna give us eyes to see our neighbors. I even believe some of, some of us are gonna have neighbors that come to our house. And they ask for prayer. They say, hey, there's something different. Will you pray for me? It's like opportunity, come, uh, they're gonna come on our lap. I just believe for that this week. In your name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.